0: You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit
1: Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome, all you wiretappers out there, back here in the COVID-19 virus studio of Gangland Wire with my good friend Cam Robinson up in Munster, Indiana, on the other end. Now, this, uh, this show here... Dan Bashford of Sydney, Australia, I want you to listen up. Dan's been one of our regular supporters, and and we've had quite a few emails back and forth comparing what's going on in Australia and what's going on in uh, the United States and They've already lived through those fires. He had to live through that. Said they, they had smoke coming into Sydney and and everything, and really devastated that southwest part of Australia. And they just were getting through that when uh, the COVID virus thing hit, and they're all locked down down in Australia too. Cam, welcome,
0: Gary. I'm I'm glad to be here as always. I'm I'm quarantined, so I'm glad to have uh,
1: <laughs> glad to have something, something to, to do. do. Oh, really? Me too. I've been knocking these out like <laughs> crazy. you know, I, I I did two yesterday, one with a, a motorcycle gang member from Canada. That, y- yesterday was All Canada Day. Then there's a true crime writer named Nate Henley from up in Canada, and I did another one with him. Uh, we did kind of a fun one about the boring life of a mobster. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, we'll uh, uh, moving right along, we're going to talk about, Dan, this is for you and all the podcast fans in Australia. This is going to be about the drangetta in Australia. And I think I spelled, I pronounced that right. Didn't I? I yeah, that was, uh, that was, uh, it was good. I probably
0: overpronounced
1: it, but yeah, that was,
0: that was a good job. Yeah.
1: That, that was one of the harder words for me to learn at the start. I did a whole show on the different, the kamora and the drangetta. I think I just finally just said, you know, it's that long word that starts with a neon probably. <laughs> 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 that was a long time ago. <laughs> I ought to go back in and find that one and take it down. I'm kind of embarrassed with myself because it's not really that hard to say. I just need to learn how to say it. Well, so you know, go all the way back. It's it started a little early, later in Australia than it did in the United States. It was first reported in Australia in 1922. There was there was a large group of Calabrians that arrived mm-hmm. in Australia in 1922 because if you're in the Drangetta. You're probably from the, the Calabrian region.
0: The very southern tip, sort of the toe of the boot.
1: Right, all the way down. You know, that whole southern section of Italy down below Rome, uh, Naples yeah. and, uh, Calabria and then Sicily, that must have been the, the Rome, the northern Italians must have really kept them down. Uh, and because you have a lot of poor people and, and it's out of those poor neighborhoods that, The government wasn't treating right that the uh, mafia and these kinds of organizations started uh, to protect their own. I I think that's a good
0: observation, yeah.
1: Calabrian immigrants quickly established control over local produce markets in uh, Melbourne. was where they first arrived. Uh, Sicilians had been there earlier, and they didn't really appreciate the competition. And there was a a (laughs) 15-year battle with the Calabrians, which they would eventually win yeah I, I guess the sicilians must have set their sights more on the united states anyhow during the 20s and 30s because prohibition was on over here and there was a lot of money to right. be made over here and that you know they knew that back in uh sicily
0: right right I, that's that that seems to be seems to be what happened i think these were sort of satellite satellite operations that came out sort of sort of floors looking for new territory and it sounds like the calabrians were the were the victors
1: you know one of one of their first uh Really big deals where they came to light, and we had something like this down in New Orleans. We can't remember the names, but there was a uh, December twenty-fourth, Christmas Eve, nineteen twenty-five. Constable James Clare was stabbed to death after he approached and tried to break up a group of eight to twelve Italian men engaged in a the fight. They accused a particular madman named Domenico Candelo, and the local boss of the drangheta Antonio Barbaro, and remember that name Barbaro, paid his bail. Yeah. He was he was one of the early bosses and that whole Barbaro family will last all the way up to present time. You know, we had this deal in, in New Orleans, the same kind of a thing happened. Some people who were David Hennessy. What was that? David Hennessy was the David Hennessy was the was, the... was the policeman uh who was killed by Uh, What they thought were black handers or somebody connected with the Mm -hmm. black hand, they put several of them in jail. And the the Southerners down there, they broke into jail and just like in the old West days and and took all those uh, old Mustache Pete's out. They were probably young Mustache Pete's at the time and and hung them. It's a different world back there in the, the teens and the 20s, wasn't it, Cam? A little, little bit more draconian. <laughs> really, everything so. was more draconian. <laughs> but by 1930, law enforcement found some letters that detailed the drangetta codes and rituals. And, and we also know today that rules are really important to these drangettas. Now, drangettas will be divided up into cells, and they're not really in uh, pyramid form like uh, La Cosa Nostra tends to mm-hmm. like a pyramid form. These, each cell will be handled independently. They, they operate independently. Right. There's a council back in Calabria that may step in or may be consulted at times and, and has to approve of right. major things. But, but other than that, uh, e- each one of these cells are, are, operate independently, which is kind of why they have problems, I think. Australia is divided up into six cells by the Grangetta, uh, South Australia, uh, New South Wales, Canberra, or that Canberra, I'm not sure, Griffin, Adelaide and Melbourne.
0: Yeah, they, I think that's a something they do everywhere. There's always going to be six cells wherever they go is 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 kind of what it sounds like how they how they keep the peace within themselves. It's kind of a like you said discipline.
1: Yeah, I read that that there's six cells in Calabria in Italy and and if yeah. they move somewhere that's else. Right. I imagine if you look into it there's going to be six cells of uh, Drangheta. Families in Canada, because they have a little bit more of a presence in Canada. There's there's hardly, yeah. I don't know if there's any real presence anymore or, or even lasted up to Prohibition in, in the United States. It
0: doesn't doesn't seem to be
1: really. There's seven families in Adelaide at the time. Uh, the Sergies, the Barbaros, remember I said to remember that name, Tromboli's, Romeos, Nirta, Alvaro, Pear, And these are all the oldest families that are over there. You see
0: these names crop up a
1: lot. Yeah, uh, all through the years. Gone up into the 1950s, of course, you know, they get established in the 30s and gambling and praying off of the other Italian shopkeepers and. But nothing happens mm-hmm. during World War II in the organized crime era. Do you notice that? There's this big yeah, like yeah. gap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 1939, 1940, about 1950, there's hardly anything happening. Boom. Yeah, that's right. In the organized crime circles, very, very few stories or wasn't anything going on. 1951, there was a severe flooding in Calabria. That caused a lot more immigration to Australia during the mm-hmm. 1950s.
0: Yeah, that's really where the Calabrians developed a real strong presence it just from what i from what I was reading, it was just 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 the whole town basically emptied that uh, that town piatti and just and and ended up in Australia, so it was just a mass
1: exodus and
0: that's that's you've still got that
1: and they were all farmers, apparently because I understand mm-hmm. if I remember right, they bought up large tracts of land uh started growing produce. Italians uh, historically, it must be a good place to grow produce over in in Italy, because yeah. uh, there's a long tradition. When they came to the United States, when they came to Kansas City, first thing they got involved in, if it wasn't a restaurant, it was uh, working in the city market with produce and having produce carts and 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 working with uh, commercial companies that were getting produce out to the grocery stores. And so, produce is is a big deal, and it was a huge deal down there with these uh, Drangetta families.
0: You know, I, I know in Philadelphia the city market is is the Italian region, and that's that's, that's that, that supports what you say.
1: You know, a lot of these people are not criminals that came from Calabria; and they're not that's all right. criminals. Sometimes we make that mistake, don't we? And yeah, I can uh, absolutely I, I yeah. can understand why Italians get a little tired of us uh, uh, reporting on organized crime. Like all Italians, you know, if you're Italian, you must be a member of the mob. <laughs>
0: My great-grandfather used to say, mafia, and spit on the floor. He was, uh, he was not, uh, not a fan.
1: At one time here in Kansas City, the uh, head of the strike force was Mike DeFeo, and, and the two lead agents of the FBI and the One Squad, or the Organized Crime Squad, were Leone Flossi and Bill Owsley, both of whom were <laughs> Italian. Flossie was even born in Italy, so you can't just stamp people out with, uh, with one, uh, one uh, cookie cutter, can you? Yeah, that's I think that's right. And that's, you, you know, I know that,
0: that uh, in America you had a lot of anti-Italian uh, uh, prejudice just with all groups who came here. And I, from what I was reading in Australia, that's sort of the same kind of backlash after, you know, after certain crimes, there was a lot of negative uh, feeling towards immigration. And it's just a sign of the times where you where you assign it to the group, like we're saying.
1: During the 1960s, they uh, pretty well have control of all the produce markets than Drangeta does, because even if you're not involved, uh, they're gonna, once they get their foothold into anything, they're gonna, they're gonna want to control everything, and they'll extort money from other grocers call them green grocers there is my understanding yeah yeah green the green
0: green grocer i guess is what we uh you know what we think of is like you know the farmer's market they call it the green grocer
1: here's one where they uh they use their, their farming uh you know this by the 1960s marijuana has got immensely popular mm-hmm. and one of the families of Trimbolis, starts planting marijuana plants that really good marijuana out of uh, uh southeast asia yeah uh, Starts planting the plants in between the trees and, and the different fruit plants, and, and so you'll easily hide that yeah. from from outsiders' view. And then you can go in and harvest your marijuana when it's time, and and then store it again with your your other produce. So
0: <laughs> they controlled all of the produce market because they bought up all these lands and they had their own their own people farming, and they basically took over the marketplace. If you're a farmer who's not Calabrian, if you're if you're not an approved farmer, if you're if you're not paying your your protection money to the local Calabrians, you're just not gonna. Your 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 fruit your fruit stand is gonna be torn down, or or you're just not gonna have a stand. You show up with your with your produce in the morning, and we we don't have a place for you. You know you, you're gonna have to go somewhere. To so by controlling the land and by controlling the markets, they took it over, and then once they had that land, they just you know they, they had plenty of places to and a, and a farming uh, situation set up to to just plant all that marijuana and that that Aussie Bob Trimboli was really the guy and that that Trimboli name was one of the old but yeah they, he was he, i mean millions of dollars worth of, mar- of marijuana in the in the, the 60s that this guy was 60s and 70s that he was growing and i mean that's a that's a hell of a lot of marijuana
1: Looks like they even had a little little mob war during this time. In, in 1963, there was a guy named Vincenzo Anguleta who started a uh, what you would call a rival grocery confederation, mm-hmm. which probably means that he got a bunch of the other green grocers together <laughs> to uh, have their own action going more than likely, and, and he gets murdered for his trouble. 1964, a Vincenzo Morata— mm, there's a tongue twister. That's uh, Murad- Muratore, Vincenzo.
0: yeah. Muratore, he, yeah. They 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 went after him in in retaliation. So yeah, like I mean, that's that's. I think it's probably like when you get union groups, like what they were talking about in the in the Irish movement movie, where you had that uh, Casalito, Three Fingers Casalito. and he was starting up being a rival
1: union boss. Well, I mean,
0: they're not going to have that.
1: There's always going to be rivals, isn't there? And that was our mm-hmm. last mob war in Kansas City. It was two right. Two rival factions, basically, or the, the, the ruling faction and then a sub-faction in between. And that's exactly what always happens. That's right. Well, this Trimboli, uh, Aussie Bob, they called him. He, he kind of Americanized or Australianized himself. Uh, <laughs> he Aussie, said he had a real th- real
0: thick accent,
1: actually. That, that's what they said. That's why they called him
0: Aussie Bob, because he had such a, such a thick accent.
1: He would graduate to be really, basically the head of all drug trafficking in Australia, and, and you know, cannabis. He, he had some vending machine repair shops and restaurants, and and then the, the produce company or produce business. But he had a yacht, and his yacht was named <laughs> Cannabis. Now that's throwing it right in the face <laughs> of the police, isn't it? I mean, that's that's uh, that's taking a stand. That's 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 daring them. Who was that New Jersey mobster? He had a boat down in Florida, and the name of it was The Usual Suspects. Uh, it was uh, Scarpa. Scarpa, yeah. Yeah, Nicky Scarpa. <laughs> <We>, uh, <laughs> our mob guys always kept a real low profile in real nondescript cars. No personalized license plates except one who ended up dead, and he had his name on his license plate, Spiro. And I've got a picture of a policeman uh, yeah. bending over in front of that Cadillac with that Spiro license plate number as he's working the crime scene where Mr. Spiro was was blown up, clear up out through the roof of the used car uh, shack that he had on his used car lot and dumped him down in the middle of the parking lot. I I think
0: that they said that was Carlo Gambino's one one luxury is and I've seen pictures. His license plate said Carlo.
1: Ah, I, you know I think I do remember reading that. Reading that, that I was, they said
0: that, that was his one. That was his one. Uh, is one little thing that was
1: what the old man did. I think I'll get one that says Tony Soprano on it. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I bet you can make those up, just those fake license plates, and sell them all over the place. Well, I reckon, yeah. Everybody wants to have a front tag that says Tony Soprano on it. You don't get any tickets, parking tickets, and nobody will ever break into your car. <laughs> That's right. You know, we had a a rumor around here, and I'm curious, all you wiretappers out there, especially you from new guys that grew up in big cities, was there ever a thing that if you tie a red ribbon around your steering column or or around your door handle that the the local thieves knew this was a connected car and they'd never break into it or steal it? We had that in Kansas City. Really? I worked a, a mob murder once, and that guy had a— uh, was found in his car, and and he had a red ribbon tied around his no, steering column. Sh-
0: no shit. Yeah, I, I've not heard anything like that in Chicago, but I, you'd think there would have to be some kind of identification.
1: The government is getting fired up about these guys by the 1970s. You know, it's probably just like in the United States. If Law enforcement was uh, somewhat corrupt or a little more corrupt in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And and then in the sixties everything starts changing and really like when all the baby boomers were the young guys going on to the police departments and going in the prosecutors offices and and getting those kind of kinds of positions, they were not as uh subject to corruption for some mm-hmm. reason as their uh predecessors. And he had an anti drug politician named Donald McKay and and he Got into this whole marijuana smuggling operation of Trimboli's. I'm not sure exactly how he did it, but he. He told him where the land was. You know, he said,
0: I know that if you go to this land, you will find a, a massive amount of marijuana. He, was, he okay. was really, really didn't like them messing up his, his little hometown of Griffith. And so he told the cops where to go.
1: That's where Oka up in Griffith. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that was this Aussie Bob Trimboli's operation. Yeah,
0: poor decision making on McKay's
1: part. He, he got found out, and for some reason, when they were given evidence in court, they read his name out loud as being the source. He probably, being a prominent politician, he probably had a constituent come to him and and say, "Hey, you know, I know where this stuff is." As he was yeah. dealing with these people, yeah, uh, seized twenty five million dollars worth of marijuana. Yeah, and that's that's in the seventies, July the fifteenth. Donald McKay disappeared and this was another one of those blanca luparas. They never found his body. Yeah, they
0: found a car, two shell casings, and a little bit of blood on the door, and that was that was the last of Donald McKay. Uh,
1: you know, law enforcement had a huge overreaction to that one. That's right. And I've talked about that before, how law enforcement reacts when criminals take out one of their own, which has happened so few times that i only know one time and it was more of an accident or it was a street robbery that went bad but boy i tell you what uh and we had a couple policemen get shot in the line of duty and you know in the middle of a interrupting robbery and and believe me (laughs) those streets were (laughs) were not safe for man or beast for a while till those people got in it was a it was a bomb found on a
0: cop's doorstep here in uh here in chicago and i think
1: they it was in the middle of that the, the the yeah, it was the Chop Shop Wars. I remember that, yeah. Uh,
0: of course they, they hit yeah, the Chop Shop Wars and they hit the they hit the roof. So within a couple of weeks, a guy whose name was the bomber, who was one of the rivals, he shows up dead and they're like, Look, we took care of it. You know, we got to, we got rid
1: of the bomber. Yeah, that was that was probably Hanratty <laughs> I right. took care of it. He was <laughs> right. he was the mafia owned commander of detectives at one time. Right, I mean, right. totally mobbed on. He was so mobbed <laughs> on that he had a jewelry robbery crew out there operating for him. <laughs> <laughs> the market cornered. Yes, he did. He was unbelievable. So by the '80s, they get into uh, cocaine smuggling with Sicilians. It's the second Mafia War here. Do you remember anything about that? Oh, that was oh that was that Salvatore Reina.
0: That was Rena, While he
1: was Rena, who was called the Beast, had got caught up with uh, Angela or uh, with uh, Gaetano Batalmente and some yeah. of those and uh, uh, um, Tommaso Bucetta. Yeah, Bucetta. That, so, that was part. That was the second Mafia War.
0: Yeah. So while they're so, raging, the Calabrians step in and took over took over their routes from South America and took over their shipping routes to, to all over the place. And the, and the Sicilians, they never gained their footage back after that. Rena really, really cut off the legs of, of the Sicilian mafia after that.
1: Yeah, that that would be a huge business, especially to lose, especially in the 1980s, to lose a cocaine mm-hmm. business into all of oh Australia. Oh, my and they God. Got, you know, two major metropolitans or three major metropolitans are in Areas. And and cocaine, yeah. well, you know how much money has been made in cocaine. Yeah. It's just unbelievable.
0: Yeah, and it, you can see there
1: were some major
0: drug rings in the 70s that did not involve the you Nangeta, know, and, and the only thing is it was before that war, so you had the Golden Triangle down there, and that was a big heroin thing through, through Sydney, and... The drugenta did not have anything to do with that, but then you see immediately in the next decade they've moved over, they've pushed out all the competition, and they own the drug the drug market. So they're they're bringing heroin directly in, but they've also got that cocaine market. So they, there was no competition after that.
1: Did they have to do much to hang on to that? Was what what, what happened on up into the eighties? So
0: Dominic Marafiotti, like usual, there was a, a grocery. Competition. He was a greengrocer. There's, there's word he was, he was leaking information, uh, maybe on his competition. But he disappears on July eighteenth, July nineteenth. His parents, who are in in Adelaide, they're they're murdered in their homes. So they yeah. they they had a real bone to pick with uh, Marafiotti. He he disappears, and then his parents murdered the next day in in, in another part of Australia in Adelaide. So.
1: Well, these these guys are like those Sicilians, man. They kill off start killing off your family. I tell you what, we're pretty lucky over in the United States, I think. You just I can't think of any time anybody's ever killed anybody's family. No, no, no. Uh, let alone any law enforcement people. God, that's uh, that's unbelievable. Like I guess they they had they carried those traditions from Sicily and southern Italy and from back in the day to uh, over to Australia with them. Boy, you, you
0: you do see guys historically like Anastasia who would overstep and ki- and that that really that and that led to their downfall. You know when he when he stepped out and and, and killed different people and you know but that but they didn't go after families that. All,
1: at all. It didn't go after families at all. That's that's unbelievable. I see this uh, Benvenuto. Uh, he was one of their Melbourne bosses, had his car bombed while he was parked there at the market. So there must have been a little bit of a war going on. There's an on interview there in the with later him. Later he said, I,
0: I don't know who would bomb me. It was probably a mistake. I think the gasoline was leaking. He, he, he telling the newspaper, he's, he's telling the, uh, telling the oh, anchor no. person that. Yeah, oh, a, I see. That's a
1: funny clip. <laughs> yeah, the police are really getting. Getting into them now, uh, they uh, they even asked for help from Italy, huh? We were doing about the
0: same thing in in the eighties, weren't we? Here in here in America,
1: you know that might have been actually after Flossie. If you guys listen to my interview of Leon Flossie, and he talked about how he was the uh, legal attaché for the FBI to Rome in the eighties, and he set up the first uh, Italian. FBI task force, and they would have mm-hmm. Italian policemen, and and then that uh, Giuseppe Falcone, the judge, come over for training, and and just to get to know FBI agents, and and then FBI agents would go over to Sicily, and they started working together. Which was, uh, yeah. that was one thing that they always depended on is nobody was working together. Uh, you know, they can do something in one place, but they right. go to the other place, and and nobody really is is working together and doesn't know what's going on. In the other place, so they uh, they must have probably maybe on the the following the footsteps of Flossie. They started coordinating with the Italian police. They also discovered some uh, Drangetta codes of rituals in Canberra and Adelaide.
0: Yeah, they they discovered two of them. Yeah,
1: but you know that stuff's important. Police depend on like the public. For support for these kinds of investigations, uh, they depend on politicians, and and you you talk about this thing out here, this organization that is creating your problems, and you ask for more resources and and put more energy into mm-hmm. that, then you've got to convince people, the the holders of the purse strings, yeah, that you need more assets you need more resources you need more people to to go work on these organizations and and it's sometimes it's hard to convince them I, I worked on a, a black group one time and we just were kind of getting into it and we had this sketchy information that there was this little organization going on and they were getting into cocaine and they had a crew of bank robbers working and and we had several bank robberies and and oh, a guy shit. got stopped one time and they found something like it it was a rules for belonging to this organization written out in in a pencil and paper i remember it scratched out in a, a piece of tablet paper and and with a pencil but you know that kind of got everybody's attention like oh and cuz this name guy's name was Calvin Bradley and he was part of it uh and he was suspected to be part of this uh, kind of a heroin organization this was just before cocaine and bank robberies and and you know with even like a, a couple of brothers that were bosses and and uh so you know that those things are important when you find that to so make your case to put more assets into an investigation
0: it goes to show how organized the guys really are you, right. know, you think of well are they just a a loose conglomeration of criminals, but when they've got their own rules,
1: I, I guess that would teach you that y'all really need to need to step up. That they're that they're much more organized than you had originally thought. Sure, now, I see here in uh, what, 1989 they killed another policeman. I wonder uh what was the deal with that? Colin Winchester, deputy chief of federal police.
0: You know, he was involved. They were they were mapping all of the drug farms in in and around Griffith. They they were still working on on these marijuana farms. He had come up with a very precise map of. There's this one and this one, this one. I mean, millions millions of dollars. I mean, and you're talking in Australia, it's just massive land land uh, areas. So so if you've got farms all over the place, you're talking a huge amount of land. So it it would be hard to know where everything was. Uh, This guy turns up dead. There's sort of some back and forth. Was he or was he not killed by the Nangheta? Because there were just some different evidence that came out, and it, they ruled that he wasn't, but there was a lot of anti-Calabrian sentiment by this. And then a couple years later, recently, within the last 10 years, I believe, they've re-examined the murder, and they believe that the Nangheta did have something to do with it, that they sent they sent some Wahoo who was not Australian. I can't remember the name of the guy, but they sent somebody to kill him, and it just it was just too... Too much of a coincidence that the one that the guy working on this massive map would disappear that he would die at that time shot in his home
1: so and and even though you know you take out one policeman there's about ten more that follow behind yeah. him, and then some. And certainly yeah. uh, somebody that could take over his work. Nobody does anything. Uh, there, there are no, uh, lone rangers out there on, uh, in law enforcement. There, there may no. be some individuals that, that do a few things on their own, but that whole TV thing about somebody out there operating on their own and, and not letting their boss and their coworkers know what they're doing. That's, uh, <laughs> that didn't really happen in real life.
0: And really changing the public perception of 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 the Narangheta. You know, there's there's a romance that's around these sort of a a romance or around yeah. the, the 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 mafia, and even there's a sense that even though they're bad, they're our they're our bad guys. And once this guy was killed, it really got a lot of that negative attention. And so it it really was a was a bad move strategically. Like you said, there was just another guy who's gonna who's gonna do his work. But there's also, it, it really woke the public up to where cops are getting killed in 1989. That's, it really changed public perception against uh, the Rangueta.
1: By the end of the 80s and the early 90s, uh, they've got total control of the Melbourne wholesale market. They're extorting millions of dollars from large corporations mm-hmm. who are buying their produce and that they're all involved in that produce business. What what was the deal with the uh, Frank and Tony Metafree?
0: Yeah, well, the the Benavri brothers, Tony was was he came to Australia early and he was he established a presence in the market. He was a, he was a, a millionaire with with his grocery things. Frank was really more steeped in the the traditions of the of the Nangueta. He was in Calabria. He was he was uh, charged with a, a kidnapping over there. He was really earning his stripes on the home front before he was sent to us. And then I get, you get the sense that he was sent to Australia. His brother sort of laid the foundation for a, for a good living. Frank was sent to really take over for the, from the bosses back home. He was sent, you know, they, they want to get more local guys there. And Frank was sort of sent to oversee uh, uh, Melbourne around this, around this time. And that Frank Benvenuto, who had been the boss for a long time, he's killed uh, uh, eventually, and Frank will take over. But I think they were grooming Frank, is is what you see. He was really, really being groomed from back home to take over the Melbourne area. He was sent
1: for a reason. Yeah, I see there's several murders in the uh, early 90s. There's a Tony Peluso, uh, mm-hmm. Alphonse Mur- Muratore, uh, Jeffrey Bowen. He was a de- another detective that was killed.
0: That, uh, that. Muratore was the son-in-law of the, of the boss at the time, the, the Benvenuto, the Libore. He was, he was cheating on his daughter, which was accepted. These guys have girlfriends. But he tried to divorce the boss's daughter and move in with his girlfriend, which is, I mean, you, you know, they, these guys don't, don't go for divorce.
1: Yeah, really. In that uh, documentary about the, the big trial on Tommaso Bucetta, that was salvatore Rihanna. that was he, he took the stand to testify and his he talked to the court about how what a horrible person that tommaso Bucetta was because he had been married several times <laughs> He'd been married 3 times and, and yeah, he was yeah. morally corrupt and you should not believe anything that he said
0: there's a there's a in in Goodfellas, they even touch on that. He's like, what are you going to get a divorce? We're not animali, We're not we're not animals. You're going to yeah. get a divorce. Yeah. It was really there was a lot of traditional values i guess you could say these guys are really liberal about liberal about who you could murder and and what what crimes you could get into but when it came with something like traditional like like marriage they were very conservative <laughs>
1: well one of the little uh anomalies i think there's a word for that i can't remember what it is that uh, you do one thing with and, and but say another um but this policeman jeffrey bowen killed in 1994 now uh, he was working on these guys Mm-hmm. on the uh, marijuana operation man he must have had a hell right. of marijuana operation going and yeah it,
0: it sounds like it they, it's just millions and millions of dollars worth he was he was going to testify those those Perry brothers Dominic and and Francesco Perry you know they were that Perry family is is one of the old families there so they that's that's where you see the generations and the generations of guys and he he disappears that was 40 million dollars worth of worth of marijuana was worth of actual plants they hadn't harvested it yet 13 guys were arrested so i think this uh this jeffrey bowen they they don't seem to have any function about killing uh killing a cop as we've said and they
1: they got him you know it's kind of an interesting little story now we're up around 2000 this uh frank Mettaferri who had come over from from calabria come over from italy mm-hmm. and basically taken over the family and They've got an attorney working with them by this time, uh, a Joseph Aquaro, who works with them on the political front. You know, you can't have a good crime family that doesn't have really good political connections.
0: Yeah, that's right. The
1: police are working like crazy on these guys, and they even get Frank deported.
0: Yeah, they had that order of deportation, and he had overstayed his visa when he initially came from Calabria. He had overstayed his visa about twelve years. I mean uh, he you know, they wasn't going to pay attention to it anyway. So he had that deportation order hanging over his head. That was that was the one way they could get him. You know, I guess with Al Capone it was the taxes, and with this Medaffrey it was the deportation order. So that was where they were where they were trying to go with it. It was a it was a big
1: deal for them. Yeah, you know they used to try that in the United States. As a Matter of fact, that's why. Uh, that's how that, uh, yo- that young policeman from New York got killed. He was going over to Sicily to get backgrounds on people to show that, you know, there was, they didn't keep records back in the 1915 or 1910, whatever, like they do today. You couldn't just jump on a computer and going over, to find it, trying to find records to show people were born in Sicily and were they had no real documents and didn't really come through the the correct way so they could deport him and, and they found out he was over there doing that and uh, joe petrosino was his name and, and they, they yeah. killed him while he was over there doing that so whatever happened with this deportation then
0: this is where you, you really see the power these guys have developed so tony modafi was the one who was more making connections so they start reaching out to the liberal party politicians and i don't I don't know, liberal concern. I don't know anything about Australian parties, so I'm not trying to cast aspersions. But in this case, it was the Liberal Party. And they started making donations and holding fundraisers and raising $15,000 for this one and $10,000 for this one. There was an immigration party minister in the Liberal Party named Amanda Vanstone. They had a fundraiser for her and they they raised quite a bit of money. So when she is, is elected and she takes over, she. Invalidates the, the deportation order. She just throws it out, and that was a major scandal. it was in it was in a lot of the news. These guys, they made political connections and had a, a deportation order on the the big mob boss, who was known to be the mob boss. They had it thrown out. It was it was. It took them a, several years to do it, but they finally they had it thrown out. And in between all of this, you see this huge cocaine shipments coming in and and all these things so he's running his business but but when when a deportation order was thrown out in a very public way by a judge that's really showing and I think it woke up a lot of people to the
1: actual power that they have and how
0: corruptible officials could be
1: yeah they do they uh, i see they're shipping uh, cocaine tons and tons and tons of it from Colombia through Italy down mm-hmm. to uh, Australia. Now that would be, that's a heck of a a long shipping route, isn't it? I mean, they can't really from Columbia is on the Atlantic side. So you have to go around through Panama and you don't want to yeah. go through Panama. It's such a choke point and you don't want to go around the uh, Cape down there. So you got to go clear across the Atlantic up into the Mediterranean
0: <laughs> and then <laughs> on to, uh,
1: uh, actually, then the Suez Canal. Or do you wonder if they stayed south? and went around the Cape of Good Hope. I mean, I always find that kind of interesting, the the geography yeah. of that. How you get from Columbia to Australia.
0: <laughs> yeah, these those those international shipping routes we don't really you know, I guess that they had the more control coming in and, and going out they uh, hiding in tomatoes and stuff like yeah. we've seen. Yeah. But but yeah, they just, they brought it to the home front and probably distributed, well, they, they were probably shipping it back in, in a massive shipment to, to spread throughout Europe. And what they had left over, they shipped down to uh, shipped down to Australia once they had divided it up.
1: If they went through Italy, you have to think that they might have gone down through the Suez Canal, I guess, and then around, rather than back out to the Mediterranean and around to, uh, of course, but, and, and they yeah. didn't get, you know, a lot of the... The ship probably stayed in Italy and Europe, and maybe they had enough they could fly it or something. I don't know much about their drug routes here. I know a lot about them there, here, but not down there.
0: I couldn't really find—you know, I know that, that Australia's got major ports, and, and so I found I, I, I that it was a shipping container, but— so it was a, it was a shipping they, container. Yeah, okay, it, was, it was an actual shipping container, so I think that would probably be easier than than, than the plane. But I, I'm I know they were bringing a lot of stuff into Australia by planes. Also, that was how they did the heroin.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah and so heroin. I think they were in every route that they could.
1: A heroin on planes from uh, Southeast Asia would be kind of a mm-hmm. no brainer. That would be yeah, and and heroin doesn't take up quite so much space as uh, as cocaine and right. Of course, marijuana takes up. They, they were growing their own marijuana, so you didn't really have to ship the marijuana. Yeah. Well, that leads us on to the big bust, uh, one of the, the biggest bust ever of ecstasy. In the world. In July of 2007, four tons of ecstasy <laughs> hidden in a shipping container that was filled with canned tomatoes from Calabria. Now, that's the way they were using those cans of tomatoes to hide uh, the heroin in to take it to and the pizza connection the pizza connection yeah united states they also used uh pallets of italian marble and then hollowed out the middle and put yeah. the heroin down the middle there's probably probably ought to go back and see how much italian marble came in <laughs> at the, <laughs> right. about the same time you probably find just another four tons of ecstasy <laughs> right but if you remember folks i said remember that name barbaro and this goes clear back to you know turn of the century or 1920s when they first came over here mm -hmm. well they're still here the barbaros there's pasquale barbaro is and he was a young guy at the time he's like yeah he's 20 yeah 23
0: 24 set up this shipment and he
1: was working for our boy frank
0: midaffrey yeah and if that's what they caught, I wonder what they didn't.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you can, whatever you catch is the tip of the iceberg. I know that for sure. Between the 90s and the
0: 2000s, there was a major gang war. And this these were not the Italians. They they were on the periphery, maybe. But it was called the Painters and Dockers Union, the Painies and Dockies. And they had a war amongst themselves for a lot of a lot of ecstasy and things. But that war really wiped out a good 20 guys in the underworld. The Moran family and Carl Williams were two guys who were at war over ecstasy. Once they're all wiped out, the Nangheta just fills in the back and it's right around... Two thousand and six is when the mob war was over, and there would there would have been a shortage of of ecstasy, and that's where the Sicilians they pick up the slack. I mean, the Calabrians pick
1: up the slack. Interesting. That's that's why they had such a huge amount, and I didn't I didn't really realize that.
0: Yeah, that was a uh, that was a real big deal that mob war. But once you once you let the competition wipe out itself, you, you know, you've got the market cornered.
1: Yeah, uh, to get to get Frank metaferry. On this bus, somebody must have done been doing some talking. I, I see it, it wasn't this uh, Pasquale Barbaro because he goes down for thirty years on the deal.
0: I know there was a lot of police follow up. That's how they got this XC and, and I I know they had a lot of recording set up, a lot of a lot of the wires set up, a lot of the a lot of the traditional police work. If I recall correctly, it, it might have just been been good police work i know there was some talk that this Aquero was talking but he was he was calabrian also so i i really couldn't find how they they tracked it down i didn't get into it as much but it took them about three years and they did nail him.
1: well however it was they probably had to keep it on the down low either that or they just mm-hmm. sometimes you just get lucky <laughs> i once uh, <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> trashed a, a couple of guys that moved into kansas city and uh, from uh, Los Angeles, and it was when we were having a lot of young gang members, gangbangers, come out from Los Angeles to the different mid-sized cities in the United States and bringing their cocaine connections along with them. And so we knew these guys were in town, and I found out where they lived, and and it really wasn't too far from my house. So one night I was on my way home from somewhere else, and I drove out and back, and I there was there was this truck that we knew that they'd been driving around. So the next Monday, we got the trash people to let us use their trash truck, and we snagged their trash. And, and there was two or three empty <laughs> kilo uh, cocaine wrappers in there for Spanish writing on, oh writing on everything. So we hit them with a the search warrant. We just got lucky, man. <laughs> and we didn't Throw get a big drug bust, trash. but we did okay, and they left town right after that. Yeah, I,
0: I don't know about just throwing away the cocaine, uh, the kilo wrappers in the trash can. but
1: that's... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, really, but they didn't do that again. I don't know if they ever saw the uh, probable cause on that search warrant or not. It's kind of you got to put, you got to write the probable cause when you serve a search warrant, and you got to, and that's always public knowledge because you got to file it with the court, and people can easily get that. And and, you know, we didn't have any other probable cause (laughs) other than I found some of their information, like a, a like a light bill. And the cocaine wrappers and the uh, trash, and we tested a little bit off the cocaine wrapper and said, "Yeah, that was cocaine."
0: And you uh, going through trash probably reveals quite a bit. I mean, throughout the years, Is that something y'all did y'all y'all used a lot.
1: You know, it can. It's it's a dirty job, but somebody's going to do it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it it can it can help you. I got, uh, uh, I took a, I didn't ever take him down. I tried to make him into informant. I found out a new guy, a new bookie that was in town, and. So I like get his trash and he had scribblings and notes and everything from, and he would have like all 14 games written down with different oh, numbers next to it. So, you know, you know, it's a bookie. So I go, I go confront him and, uh, uh, he couldn't figure out how I knew he was new in town from, uh, Texas. And I'd gotten a tip from a Texas policeman that said, Hey, this guy's a bookie. And I heard he moved to Kansas city and I checked him and I found him and found his house and, we got that paperwork, and so I confronted him. I even talked about there's enough in there to make it look like there's some losses that week, and I can't remember exactly what it was, and, and, and he's like, I knew his eyes were like bugging out of his head, <laughs> and he said, well, let me think about it, and and what was funny, he didn't live that far from me, and I ran into him in the grocery store about two weeks later, and he'd never called me back, and I said, hey, Pat, how you doing, buddy? And He's like, oh, well, and and he, he said, you know, he said, I figured out how you knew what I was up to. I said, what do you mean? He said, I came home one day and the trash was gone. And everybody else's trash was there. It's like, oh, shit, I should have, I should have replaced the trash. <laughs> After that, I always replaced the bag with another bag or or, or commandeered a trash truck. Those trash guys, you got to be careful with them. They might turn around and rat you out.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, garbage is where the mob's all involved. So, yeah. Shit, I so, reckon.
1: So, so uh, usually, usually we would just run and snag it and people wouldn't pay much attention. But uh, after that, I'd just take another bag of trash, you know, get the same color bag and dump it down and, and then grab their bag of trash and take it off somewhere. It's <laughs> that's, that's creative police work. So this is kind of a power struggle going on and they're still there today. Uh, I'm sure they're still in charge of all drugs in Australia, wouldn't you say?
0: I Oh, yeah, I'm sure that... Uh... You know, you see, even Bedafri goes down, and and Tony Bedafri, his brother, is still there, and he's he's the more, he appears to be more legitimate, and he's still running things. And then that Joseph Aquero, they had a little little dust up between them, and he he was murdered. That was a that was a big one too. This uh, uh, that was real recent. Mob, wasn't it? The, the mob attorney, yeah, that
1: was that was you're right. Oh, uh, well, that was their attorney that had helped get that uh, deportation overturned. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah, and that, 2016, you see a, a a major mob lawyer that I get probably kind of like an Oscar Goodman type, but he was also Calabrian, and he's uh he's shot to death in the streets, and they say you know it, maybe he owed some money, maybe he didn't, but I think he was making a, a move. The, a lot of these guys you see wiped out just in the last couple of years. I mean, like you said, that uh, Pascal Barbaro, that was in 2016. This Aquero was was. 2016. 2016 was a big year for for dead Calabrians in Australia.
1: Well, we'll have to keep an eye out for them. <laughs> I have to, I keep, keep put in a couple of these names in my uh, Google uh, search thing. So if there's any news that pops up, then it'll pop up on my. Uh, 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 they'll send me an email that says that I've got that. I, I do that on my own name, and there's a, a chief of police for Pullman, Oregon, <laughs> and, and he's always getting in the newspapers. <laughs> it's a, only <laughs> once in a great while some news report, some be some kind of article that'll have my name in it, but mainly it's uh, the chief of police of Pullman, Oregon, that says something. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, I got Lefty Rosenthal in there. I need to take him out. Tony Splatro, now there's a reporter named Tony Splatro, I need to take that one out too, he's long dead, I, I need to put some new names God. in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know folks, there's a great documentary out there, but you can only find half of it it seems like, it's on, uh, you can just Google Australian Organized Crime Mafia, not Google it, but on uh, uh, YouTube, YouTube. Uh, some of these terms we've used, and I'll have some of the correct spellings of these names in my uh, show notes, and, and see if you can't find that. I'll try to find it and put a link to it on my uh, on my show notes.
0: What's it called? The four there is. I think it's like a Dateline type show over in Australia called. I don't it's know. Four, if corners it's the, then... yeah, four corners. Yeah, four corners. Four corners. That's it. I'll find That show. Yeah. Uh, yeah
1: cam had sent me a link to it and i watched it and i'll i'll find i'll find a link to that
0: yeah that was a, that was a hell of a good show i guess it, yeah like you said there's two parts but the part one is is it really gives you a lot of the information and, and two would have been good but it, you learn a lot
1: all right cam you got anything else to say about the uh australian drangetta no i i
0: think that it was a really good uh really good idea for us to uh for us to jump into them i really i really liked Picking up and and learning a lot as as he said I, I've seen stuff about the the Melbourne War and all but the the Rangheta. it was it was really interesting to see their their evolution in uh, in Australia I, I really uh, it was a really good show it was a really
1: good uh, topic idea it was suggested all right great well we have to thank our Australian friend lawyer and rack on tour Dan Bashford down in Sydney and. Or is it Melbourne? I think it's Sydney. All of a sudden I forgot, Dan. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. I think you said uh, Sydney, yeah. Sydney, yeah. I got too many thoughts in my head sometimes. I can't keep it all apart. <laughs> so we wish you all luck down there in Australia. And uh, it's, you're a lot more spread out than we are, so probably not so much uh, social distancing when you get out in the outback. You probably don't have to worry too much about <laughs> catching the COVID unless some, some strangers come into town. <laughs> you probably look at them with a, a jaundiced eye, I would imagine, <laughs> <laughs> they have
0: olive skin and black hair out of it
1: all right cam uh, if you're a veteran and believe you have problems that might be from ptsd connect to your service time call your local vet center or hospital in your area there's a national hotline 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 if you're a vet or go to www.ptsd.va.gov the site has a lot of good resources on it Don't forget, uh, hit me up on the Venmo app. It's Gangland. Buy me a cup of coffee or a shot in a beer. Uh, I got my two movies out there you can rent for $1.99 on Amazon Brothers Against Brothers, The Savella Spiro War, or Gangland Wire. Got my book out there, Leaving Vegas How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mom Domination of Las Vegas Casinos. And Cam, you got anything else you want to say? no i i just I can't speak highly enough about your uh, your documentary both of them if you want to
0: see if you want to see the footage and you want to get the story from a guy who was right in the middle of it uh you really can't beat uh brothers against brothers and and uh and uh, gangland wire you just really from from a guy who was in the middle in the middle of it you really can't can't beat
1: him all right thank you cam good night folks good night cam night gary. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.